The following live recording of Swami Vivekananda Saraswati is presented by agamayoga.com. Namaste and good evening to all of you. Tonight in the satsang, I'm going to continue presenting the contents with commentaries and explanations of a very great text of yoga called the Geranda Samhita and um, we are, we were, we left last week in the middle of the or towards the end almost of the third chapter. The third chapter is one of the most spectacular chapters. There are six lessons in the Geranda Samhita with the fourth chapter or lesson being just a page long, like very brief. The third chapter is a hundred shlokas long, it's the longest of all the, of all the book, of all this text. And it is very spectacular because it is connected to the mudras. And the mudras, which are supposed to give stability, they are according to Geranda, they are also the ones that are made specially for the arousing of Kundalini. The mudras, many of the big mudras, are instruments which are used in Kundalini Yoga and therefore they have very, very powerful effects at the level of Kundalini. That's why the effects of the mudras are also proportionally great. If in the chapter about Kriyas, here and there you can say that if you do this Kriya, it's going to purify some energy channels in the area of your forehead, and therefore you, are, you will start seeing the colors of the auras or manifesting phenomena of clairvoyance. If with the asanas, you can say practicing this asana will develop a certain chakra so strong that it will produce some exceptional phenomena, but that is relatively rare with the mudras that has been very, very powerful. We did by now 63 shlokas out of those 100, so we are two-thirds through the chapter, and I hope I'll manage to finish it tonight. And this chapter... Those, all those of you who have heard previous readings from this chapter, you know that this chapter is not holding back at all. Like there are many mudras where it says, through this mudra, death can be postponed and prevented. Decay or old age can be postponed or prevented. With this, the human being can acquire extraordinary qualities, extraordinary cities, paranormal accomplishments. This makes that this third chapter is very flashy, very colorful, very spectacular, even though the reading of such a text is in a certain way monotonous because it's a memorator. It's not meant to teach you those techniques. You can't really learn those techniques from what I say. If you already know them from the Agama levels and teachings, then you can say, ah, okay, so this is how it was written in Geranda Samhita. You will recognize it immediately. <clears throat> but for Geranda and for his disciple Chanda Kapali, this was meant to be like a remembrance. Let's remember what this yoga of Geranda is made of. <coughs> and it was made of 32 classical asanas, and Geranda proposes to teach about 25 mudras. 
as you are going to see some of them simple mudras, very peculiar, very focused, very limited, and some of them like Shakti Chalana and Mahamudra and Viparita Karani and those big mudras which are part of the process of arousing Kundalini and therefore achieving the higher states of realization in yoga. Enough with that presentation. I am about to start with the next mudra. I don't have numbers on them. They are not counted. Again, we are about two-thirds through this chapter. So, Geranda reminds to Chanda Kapali of mudra after mudra. The last one was the so-called Manduki mudra, which was about turning the tongue back. Some Many other schools call it something else. They call it Jiva Banda or something. This is a very tiny a thing with great consequences as well and after a big mudra there comes a small one after a small one there comes a mental one after a mental one there comes another big one like the order is sometimes funny in which they are <coughs> presented and the next one is a good friend of yours there's probably no person in this room who didn't hear this name because we teach it in the very first le level of yoga in the beginning of the second week that's, of course, the great Shambhavi Mudra. When you are going to read it, you are see that the way we teach it in Agama is the beginner's way. And even the beginner's way is so difficult sometimes. Just to visualize that little ping-pong ball is such a headache for many people. And you are going to see how far it can go. Because Geranda Samhita doesn't describe the stages, the beginner practice. It simply describes it archetypally. Shloka 64 about Shambhavi Mudra and the next four ones, the next three ones as well. Fix the attention and inner gaze, so it's both attention and looking, between the eyebrows. Between the eyebrows is a very specific formulation in Sanskrit. It's always used by the words bru madhya, bru, the eyebrows, and madhya, middle. Because otherwise they should have said, fix your gaze, fix your attention about two finger breadths outside of the middle of your forehead. And saying that every time you refer to it, it's very tedious. And it's like you are trying that every time when you write, you should call the attention to people exactly to the details. But once your teacher has shown to you where Ajna Chakra in, then I can go lightly on it and say, fix between your eyebrows and because you know what I'm talking about. Unfortunately, this produces this confusion that some people think that Ajna Chakra or something similar is actually between the eyebrows. It isn't. It's just a formulation of the yogis for lack of a more simple formulation of describing how to focus in this spot in front of your forehead where the bija, where the center of Ajna Chakra is. From the standpoint of your visual field, it's like you focus towards the middle of your eyebrows. That's not the destination. That's a sort of a direction, and the destination is between the lines. So fix your attention and inner gaze between the eyebrows, and contemplate there the splendor of the self. Not a ping pong ball. The splendor of the self. So you are looking in this place. There is a other mudra which we teach in the Kundalini program, which is called Buchari Mudra, where you replace the ping pong ball 
<coughs> with voidness, with an empty space. But then it goes even beyond. Garanda Samhita gives us the ultimate formulation of Shambhavi Mudra, quoted in your course papers here in Agama, <coughs> like you are warned that this goes further, but it's for advanced levels of practice. So fix the attention in the third eye and contemplate there the splendor of the self. This is Shambhavi Mudra, secret in all the tantras. You see, the language can seem pompous. Yeah, right. You are focusing your attention somewhere there, and there you are supposed to contemplate something spiritual, the nature of reality of some sort, and this is secret in all the tantras. Why make a fuss about the secrecy of this? What's so secret about it? And yet, Garanda Samhita, just like Hatha Yoga Pradipika and other texts, they say don't underestimate this. It sounds like an easy thing, but it's not so easy. Even in Kriya Yoga of Yogananda, the practice of focusing in the third eye, which is like at the level of the fourth, fifth, sixth Kriyas, the big Kriyas of their system, is actually based very much on this higher interpretation of Shambhavi Mudra. The question is, how do you meditate there on the self? It's a gradual transformation, which comes from the following. In the moment when you meditate on something, even a ping-pong ball, it has a reality. And then you start asking yourself, this ping-pong ball which I see, it's only a dream because I'm visualizing it. And yet I can see it. What is it made of? If I can make people appear like, things appear like this, and sometimes I can even see them with my eyes half open or something, <clears throat> then what is reality made of? I'm perceiving here a reality. And that reality is and isn't, because a part of me says, but you are creating it. What are you, God, to create realities? If you see it, and especially if you can make other people see it, if it appears by open eyes, if it is like a materialization of some sort, <clears throat> then what is it made of? All these things are made of light, right? If I just take the simple hypothesis, that the ping-pong ball which I visualize in Shambhavi Mudra is made of astral light, it exists in my astral body, and the clairvoyant could see it in my astral body, and it's just an astral presence of some sort, or some etheric presence, it means it's made of energy. Since the astral body is made of colors, like the colors of the aura, therefore the astral body is very much like a body made of light, it means this ping-pong ball, which is an apparition in my astral body, is also made of light. So I'm kind of creating somehow and contemplating something which is made of light. And now my question, my next meditation is, what is this light made of? Like I can create, visualize, I can imagine the face of my grandmother, or landscapes, or a ping-pong ball, or other things. <coughs> and they are made of a mysterious light. They, it has colors. It has all sorts of things are there. And therefore the question is, what is this really? What is this light? How am I uh, making to appear some realities made of light? Like I have a video projector in my Ajna Chakra and I'm projecting this. And basically my meditation goes towards the nature of reality. If I can see it and other people might see it and so on, then is it real or is it unreal?
can I call a visualization real or is a visualization just an illusion and it is unreal? And if it is real, then how far does this go? And that's why ultimately I, I reach to the point where I meditate on reality. What's the nature of reality? The reality is light. But light is ultimately the nature of God. Shiva in Kashmiri Shaivism is having as epithet Prakasha, which is the self-effulgent life. Uh, light, I'm sorry. Like the sun. The sun that doesn't need anything to enlighten it. The sun is a source of light in itself. It's self-effulgent. The moon, if there is no sun, the moon is invisible. Because the moon doesn't produce light, the moon only reflects light. But the sun actually produces light. Therefore, Shiva is like the producer of light. And therefore, if I'm producing light, then this is the, na the Shiva nature, and the meditation finally goes to who is Shiva? Who am I? What is the nature of the self which produces light? And from this light, like in the Bible, when God said, let there be light, and therefore it goes into the nature of reality. This is, the this is how they got to this point. Here, Geranda Samhita goes straight to the point. It says, focus in Ajna Chakra, and even if you start from a ping pong ball, and then you visualize the sunshine and whatever, ultimately, it's about the nature of the self, the shining of the Shiva consciousness. That's why it's called the third eye of Shiva, because it's very powerful here. And therefore, it says, contemplate there the splendor of the self. You see the self. There are many people who say, Swami, but isn't the self supposed to be, strictly speaking, Purusha, the void? Isn't it supposed to be in Sahasrara? Yes, but because Ajna Chakra is the highest of the manifested six chakras, remember there are six chakras, not seven, and the seventh is more than a chakra, is something else to a large extent, that's Sahasrara. <coughs> And therefore, when you reach the higher spectrum of the chakras, the end of the chakras, here at the highest end, you have a manifestation of the higher self. That's why so many methods of yoga, the yoga described in Bhagavad Gita, the Kriya Yoga of Yogananda, many of the Raja Yoga methods of Patanjali, and therefore I just quoted a few eminent things, they go in Ajna Chakra. Even the mantra chosen by many yogis from India to express the divine and to meditate on is the mantra Aum, which technically in yoga, Aum is the Bija mantra of Ajna Chakra, not of Sahasrara. And therefore, for the yogis of India and Tibet, Ajna Chakra has been very important because in Ajna Chakra, you already discover this reflection. It's not the final step, but it is already good enough. Paramahamsa Yogananda says, several times throughout his literature that if you activate Ajna Chakra much enough, you can reach Nirvikalpa Samadhi already through Ajna Chakra. Same is intimated by Krishna in Bhagavad Gita. And Ramakrishna, when he described the chakras, he never managed to describe chakras above Vishuddha Chakra because he was going stoned completely, except once. Even when he went that one time when with a tremendous effort he managed to describe above Vishuddha Chakra, he managed to describe only Ajna Chakra. Like it was utterly impossible for him to speak from Sahasrara, like to be there in Sahasrara. Ajna Chakra he managed. And when finally he managed once to speak about Ajna Chakra, 
he pointed at it and he said, when the human being reaches at this level, one starts perceiving the Supreme Self. And there is only a thin veil which separates the Jivatman, the individual self, from Paramatman, the universal self. Therefore, already even Ramakrishna confirms that at the level of Ajna Chakra, there appears already a level of self-realization. It's not completely Paramatman, but it is at least the Purusha Tattva, as it was called by Kashmiri Shaivists, and as it was called by the Sankhya philosophy. And that is why it is significant to see that even Ajna Chakra is providing these states. Here in Agama, we have Crown Chakra retreats, and we also have Third Eye retreats for this very reason, because the Third Eye is a legendary accomplishment in yoga, and it can already give many accomplishments of spiritual nature, including the state of Nirvikalpa Samadhi. Paramahamsa Yogananda says in a chapter which we comment in the metaphysical workshop, we explain, one of his sentences is, all those people who go to Ajna Chakra, who activate their Ajna Chakra and reach their Nirvikalpa Samadhi, after death will be projected in Hiranya Loka, in the plane of the golden light, from where they can take further teachings for reaching to the Sahasrara ultimate level. But again, in Ajna Chakra, they already reach the first level of liberation. Moksha or Mukti, liberation from the physical world, liberation from the obligativity of becoming reincarnated in the physical world, in a physical body, again and again, by the power of the physical karma. So that's why this statement is beautiful. Shambhavi Mudra, according to Yaranda Samhita, and which is traditional literature, its mother texts of yoga, is fix the attention in the, between the eyebrows, which means in the third eye implicitly, and contemplate there the splendor of the self. Therefore, meditate in the third eye on Atman itself, because there exists already the breakthrough there. This is Shambhavi Mudra, secret in all the tantras. It's truly a secret, except for those who practice it. It seems so inconspicuous and so little, and we teach it even to the beginners, hoping that they are going to go deeper and deeper in understanding that the nature of the mind is to create reality. And it continues with a famous controversial statement. It's controversial because it comes from centuries and centuries ago in Puritanic feudal India. So don't make any reference to the social things. Just see what Geranda is trying to say. You might invent a 21st century Western metaphor, which is more politically correct and which fits better to this. Therefore, the metaphor might have flied very well in India 300 years ago. The Vedas, the scriptures, and the Puranas, says Geranda in, sh in Shloka 65, the Vedas, the scriptures, and Puranas are like public women, while this Shambhavi Mudra must be kept secret like a noble lady. Many women today who feel that they are noble ladies, they wouldn't like to be kept secret because that's like a sort of imprisonment for women. That's not the point of this Shloka. Point of this shloka is to make a comparison, be it even clumsy, in which to say Shambhavi Mudra is much better, it's one category better than the Vedas. Like many Hindus would say, what can you find more sacred than the Vedas? 
Shambhavi Mudra. Shambhavi Mudra alone, says Geranda, is more important than the Vedas, the Shastras, all the scriptures that people are beating their head against. All the Vedas, the Shastras, the Puranas, sacred texts and so on. Geranda says this Shambhavi Mudra is the real deal, is the real secret. 66. He who knows this Shambhavi is like Adinatha. Adinatha is a name of Shiva. Natha means like the lords of yoga. And Adinatha is the first of the lords of yoga. It means the primeval guru, the first of the lineages. It's one of the titles of Shiva. Shiva is called Adinatha, mostly by the Nat yogis. The Nat yogis had teachers like Matsyendra Nat and Goraksha Nat. All of them have Nat in the end of their name. But all of them draw their knowledge from Adi, not the first of the Nats, who is Shiva himself. So this is an epithet. He who knows this Shambhavi is like Shiva, says Garanda. He is like Narayana, Vishnu, or Brahma. Like what statement do you want more in a Hindu India to say that if you do Shambhavi Mudra, you are like Shiva, like Vishnu, and like Brahma. When Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva are the three aspects of God which are known by any child in Hinduism. They are the creator of the universe, the preserver of the universe, and the destroyer, the resorber of the universe. And Garanda has no fear in saying he who knows this Shambhavi, and it means not know it theoretically, that you read it and you heard Swami talk about it. He who knows this Shambhavi means he who has accomplished it. He who can do it to perfection is, he says, like Shiva. Actually, he is not looking the word like. The word like is added. It's between the lines because he actually, literally, the shloka says, he who knows this Shambhavi is Shiva. He is Narayana or Brahma. So it's a very strong statement which refers to the fact that the state of enlightenment gives to the human being a communion with the higher cosmic principles. And 67, he quotes from some text which is obscure, where he quotes Shiva under the name Maheshvara. Shiva can be called by many names, at least 108 or 1008 in some traditions, and one of his names is Maheshvara, the great lord. And Geranda quotes this Maheshvara, and people say, where did Maheshvara, Shiva, in which text did he say that? If you want to do scholarship, Go and take all the editions of Geranda Samhita, and in one of them you might find that some scholar has dug up in which other text there is this reference, and therefore to what does Geranda refer. It's not of importance because we are not doing academic scholarship here. We are studying the text from the standpoint of practicalities and yoga, and that's why we simply take it for granted. Geranda says that he heard or read somewhere a nice statement coming like from the mouth of Shiva, and he renders it to his disciple Chandakapali. So in 67, he says, Maheshvara, like he who knows this Shambhavi is like Shiva, Narayana, Brahma, Maheshvara Shiva said, quote, truly, truly, and truly again, he who knows the Shambhavi is Brahman and none else without doubt, unquote. Brahman is even a stronger word because Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva 
are like faces of God in Hinduism, but Brahman is a word coming from Vedanta, and it is a word which represents like Purusha, the unmanifested. Brahman is the counterpart of Maya. The universe is made of Maya, which is the manifestation, and Brahman, which is the transcendental spirit. <coughs> and Geranda is quoting for us a big statement made by Shiva in one other traditional text, whichever that is, where Shiva, referring to the Shambhavi process, to the Shambhavi Mudra, has said with, like, emphatically, truly, truly, and truly again, like, no, I can't put more emphasis on that. Three times, truly, I tell you that he who knows the Shambhavi is Brahman and none else, without doubt, like, again, going strong. And, uh, therefore, this gives you the dimensions of the little insignificant Shambhavi Mudra. It's, it may not be a spectacular Kundalini Mudra, but when it comes to the mind, when it comes to going to Ajna Chakra, Shambhavi Mudra is a big, big accomplishment. And we continue with, it starts here with quite a bit of shlokas, which are called the five Dharana Mudras. In 68, Geranda says, Shambhavi Mudra having been explained, here now the five dharanas, mastering them, what cannot be accomplished in this world, in this world. So they are not really about the other world, they are in this world. It means in samsara, in manifestation. It's very important to remember that because for the yogis, the metaphysical difference, and those of you who never did the metaphysical workshop, you should hear this, it's of prime importance in yoga. For the yogis, the distinction between the metaphysical part of spirituality and the other accomplishments in samsara, on the elements, accomplishing things, they are very different. These two parts of the spiritual life, they do not mingle with each other. They do not complement. They do not substitute for each other. They are two completely sides of It's like you would say that if a bird has a wing, it can fly. No, it needs both wings. There are two wings to spiritual life, and one of them is this metaphysical thing. And thus, he says, now after dharana, I'm going to start the process of explaining the five mudras, which work on the five elements. This pancha dharanas, the five dharanas, are a typical constant thing in yoga, and by this, the text of Geranda Samhita comes also very, very close to the tantric texts they speak about Maituna. Those of you who did the tantric rituals and the tantric lovers, mostly in the tantric rituals, were speaking about Maituna and were speaking about the different procedures, the different pathways in tantric yoga, in the sexual tantra, there you hear that Maituna is based very much on the five elements. For the, for the yogis, as well as for the Chinese Taoists, as well as for the Hermeticists from ancient Egypt and others, the universe is made of the five elements. Four of them are like physical, manifested, earth, water, fire, and air. And the fifth of them is a very, very subtle element, which for people who have very little spiritual experience, this fifth element is already like God. It's like spirit. It's called Akasha, and it's everywhere. It permeates, it goes through the 
matter. It goes through steel and rock. It's everywhere in the universe. It's invisible. It has properties which, like when you say the ether, ether is everywhere. And so on, then it's, it's, these are epithets which only God has, to be ubiquitous, to be omnipresent, to be infinite, to be like people who say, well, it's like you are talking about God. No, I'm not talking about God, I'm talking about the fifth element. But the fifth element is already so subtle, some people call it sky or heaven. There are so many epithets for it, precisely because of its subtle nature. Of course, when you learn about the science of chakras, you know that the universe doesn't finish with Akasha, Tattva or Vishuddha. There are at least two more levels illustrated by Ajna Chakra, the mind, the human mind and the macrocosmic mind as its correspondent, the universal mind, and then above the mind itself, <coughs> the void, the Purusha, the Shiva consciousness, the spirit, the pure spirit, the pure consciousness. So, the universe does not end with the fifth level, but for people who have no spiritual depth, already the fifth level, it's like God. It's like an omnipresent reality which pervades everything and all that. Sounds like God, although it's not God. The fifth element is called by some yogis like a sort of a low-level projection. It's like a sort of image of God. But hey, there is one more image, mind. Mind, which is one level higher than Akasha, also we have a macrocosmic mind, a universal intelligence that's even more like God. <clears throat> Neither Akasha nor the macrocosmic mind are God. They are surrogates of God. They are projections of God in the manifestation and they are like a reflection. It's a pale image of what the cosmic consciousness really is is. But when we talk about the universe, the five elements describe everything. And that's why in many texts, in Yoga Sutra, when I made a satsang a few weeks ago and I spoke about the siddhis or the paranormal abilities which result from the practice of yoga, in, in all these places and many others, you encounter the yogi speaking as a siddhi, as a perfection, as a great accomplishment, speaking about the mastery over the five elements. That if you master the five elements, since the universe is made of the five elements, then in this universe, anybody who would have mastery over the five elements would be omnipotent, would be like God, would be like, you know, if you master the five elements, there is nothing in this universe that you cannot do. You can make the mountains turn into valleys and the valleys turn into mountains. You can produce any effect whatsoever in the five elements, which are the universe itself. Therefore, mastering the five elements is mastering the universe. That's why this thing with the five elements has a very special place in sexual tantra, in kundalini yoga, in laya yoga about the chakras, and that's why Geranda follows in these footsteps and he is talking. Now he's going to talk about five technologies to go deep in the elements. That's something, for example, which here in Agama we teach in the third level of practice when people are doing the chakra tapas. There is a level of practice after finishing the basic yoga and after finishing the kundalini where we instruct people 
how to go deep into the elements, taking them one by one. This technology, for example, is taught to them at that time. So Shambhavi Mudra 68 said Shambhavi Mudra having been explained. Here now the five dharanas. Mastering them, what cannot be accomplished in this world? It's a rhetorical question, like in which Garanda says you should never underestimate this, because if you really, 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 really go into this, everything becomes possible. 69. By them, by these five dharanas, one can have access to Svargaloka. Svargaloka means the causal world, and it would be loosely interpreted as heaven. For the Hindus, the world is made of three levels. Bhur Loka, the physical world, which is with the etheric energy. Bhuvar Loka, the intermediary spheres, which is the astral and mental, where you go, where you dream, and where you go after death, and where there is a lot of going and coming. And Svarga Loka, which is the heavens above the intermediary world, which would correspond to Vishuddha Ajna, or which would correspond to the causal body and the sixth level of energy, the sixth body. And thus, um, Svargaloka, therefore, means the higher spiritual reality. Above Svargaloka, there is only Brahman. Only the cosmic consciousness exists above the Lokas. Bhur, Bhuva, Svaha, like in the Gayatri Mantra. Om, Bhur, Bhuva, Svaha. Bhur Loka, Bhuvar Loka, Svargaloka. The three worlds, each one of them in yoga being equivalent with two bodies, two koshas, or with two chakras, depending which way you look at it. So two, 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 and then there is number seven, which is beyond. So he says, by the five dharanas, by these mudras, which are going to be described, one can have access to svarga loka while still in a human body. That means you look like every Tom, Dick, and Harry, and you have the city to go to svarga loka even while you are a common mortal living. That's a huge statement. Because for most people, they are supposed to be able to go into some spirituality when they die. Because the body still has imperfections, limitations, impurities. And only when you shed the body can you really enjoy some greater spiritual freedom. But Geranda says, if you do the five mudras, you muster over the five elements to such an extent that you can do things even while in the body. This yoga of the five elements is practiced in Tibet under the form of the five Dhyani Buddhas, and it is a precursor to Dzogchen and other higher yogas by which people have claimed, like in India, to reach the rainbow body, to be able to dematerialize the body into light, and so on. Because your body is made out of the five elements. If you truly, 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 truly master the five elements, when you die, you can simply dissolve your physical body take it back into its five components, which are like five colors of a rainbow, and that's it. That's the end of it. Therefore, it's, it, all these things are convergent. In yoga, they make sense. They dovetail. They fit. And in various tantric traditions, there is this story with the five elements. You are going to say, what about non-tantric yogas? Not really. And I'm not talking about sexual tantra. I'm talking about tantra as a philosophy, as a metaphysics. In non-tantric traditions, they don't care about the five elements because they consider that the five elements are maya and they are afraid of it and they try to get out of it. So they simply say, 
let go of the five elements. Like you don't want to spend time doing the earth mandala, doing the earth element dharana, because the earth is maya, it's an illusion. Ignore it completely and focus on your sahasrara, on Brahman. That's a non-tantric type of thinking. In tantric thinking yoga, yes, even the elements are considered because in case you reach a mastery over the five elements, then you can produce miracles. You can walk on water, like for example, the walking on water, which Jesus demonstrated, is considered in yoga to be a mastery over the water element. You can tell to the water, right under my feet, compress and become really dense. You can order to the water to change its density and its consistency just with your mind. Why? Because you control the water element. And the water under any form in this universe obeys to your willpower, obeys to your visualization. So walking on water demonstrates control over water and it is considered to come from the control over the five elements. Therefore, in Tantric Yoga, people say, if you become enlightened, and at the same time you could walk on water, it would be a cool addition to your enlightenment, because you could walk on water, and some fools who are skeptical and they don't believe you, looking at you walking on water, they will say, this dude is the real deal. No. The fact that somebody walks on water doesn't demonstrate that he or she is enlightened. It demonstrates that they have acquired full control over their Svadhisthana Chakra. That's all it demonstrates. It's not a divine capacity to walk over water. It's a city. But ignorant people are easy to fool because they say, Wow, now that you showed us this circus with a water thing, we believe that you are the Son of God. Logically, there is no consequence there, but human mentality is not always functioning logically. So, Geranda simply says, if you have control over five elements, you manifest all the levels, you control all the levels of the manifestation. With the five Dharana Mudras, you can access to Svargaloka while still in a human body and can move as swiftly as the mind, reaching without doubt the capacity of Kechari, which is like walking in the sky. Ke, chari, chari, chalana, comes from moving. And there are gochari, dikchari, chitgaganachari, and finally kechari. There are four ways, moving through the physical world, moving through the subtle world, moving through the causal world, and the last of them, the highest, is kechari, moving through consciousness. Ka being a Sanskrit word used to designate in this context kechari. Moving through ka, moving through consciousness, kechari. And therefore, and kechari is considered to be like the quintessence of them, like kechari covers the other ones, and kechari is considered, therefore, a great spiritual power by which the human being can experience anything in this universe. This was witnessed almost as if he read this text, which was written in the 18th century, don't forget, so much later, it was witnessed by Milarepa in the 12th century. Milarepa, when he acquired this Kechari under different forms, he said, I could move at the speed of thought from the bottom of the universe to the top. I could experience the existential condition of any creature in this universe from the paradises of the gods to the bottom of the hell. 
and I could pretty much do anything I wanted with my mind. This description, which is quite flabbergasting, is a description of Kechari. It's a description of this power. And here says one, this Kechari does not come from spiritual realization. This Kechari comes from controlling the five elements. Because he says with this you can go to Svargaloka and with this you can move as swiftly as the mind, like basically instantaneously. How long does it take for you to put your mind from this galaxy into another galaxy? About a tenth of a second. In a tenth of a second you could be in another galaxy with your mind. Therefore the mind has, it's much, 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 much faster than the light speed. The mind is something infinitely fast practically. And therefore you can move as swiftly as the mind, reaching without doubt the capacity of Kechari, which means going anywhere, seeing anywhere, experiencing anywhere, being anything and anywhere, that would be an equivalent of it. All these things, Geranda says, are results of controlling the five elements. That's why do not underestimate it. It also shows clearly that the yoga practice of one like Milarepa who reached this was not focused just on the void. It was a yoga, it was the Karyutpa yoga of today. It was the yoga of Marpa and of uh, Tilopa and Naropa. It was a yoga brought from India, which was Kundalini and many other things. And it was, therefore, a yoga which worked on the lower chakras as well. It worked on all the chakras. It worked on the control and understanding of the five elements. Those of you who will be patient enough to go in the chakra tapas here in Agama, you will have an opportunity to kind of see practically what level of practice this requires. And this presentation of 68 and 69 being done, now he is about to start the description of the five dharanas. Because they are almost identical, I shall not insist too much on each one of them except with the peculiarities of them. All of them are described in a pretty much identical way. Like all of them take, each one of them takes like one, two or three shlokas and those shlokas are like parallel. They say parallel things, so the structure is pretty much the same. The first of them is called Pritivi Dharana, and here you have an account of it. Pritivi in Sanskrit means the earth, and this is therefore the concentration on the earth, the meditation on the earth. Visualize in your heart, but again in the heart, it doesn't mean in the heart chakra, but the funny thing is that in the Pritivi Dharana and in the water Dharana, he doesn't say where. Because, you know, they are very discreet about where are the chakras located. You all take it for granted and easy that we describe to here, even in the first day of Agama, where is Muladhara exactly placed, where is its root, where does it stick out of your skin, how, where is that mushroom-like thing with that flower, that daisy flower-like thing placed, and so on. Geranda would not write about this. In the 18th century, we are not talking about the text from the 5th century when these things were still early. Even in the 18th century where yoga, we had passed the medieval yoga period in India and it had been elaborated a lot and a lot and there were texts and this, Yaranda doesn't bother to tell you that this is related to the perineum. He uses a vague formulation which says meditate in your heart, which means in your inner core. And your guru is going to tell you exactly where in the body, but I'm not writing it here. Visualize in your heart the earth element, 
as four-sided, which means a square, chatur kashi, as four-sided and yellow like orpiment, that is a special mineral, the haritala, <coughs> or if you want chemically, it's arsenic trisulfide, orpiment called in English, it's a mineral, it's a sort of an ochre mineral, yellowish, dirty. So visualize in your heart the earth element as four-sided, as a square, and yellow like orpiment. Its bija is the letter la. That's one of the reasons for which we don't make secret of the mantras of the chakras, because they are given in about ten fundamental texts openly. So if great yogis like Geranda and Svatmarama, they chose to make it public, then I am letting it be public. In Agama, those mantras are written clearly in the texts and so on, because the yogis have taken the veil of this a while ago. So visualize this yellow square. The, its bija is the letter la. Of course, this means that it's the mantra lam, 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 like in Laya Yoga and so on. And it is presided by Brahma. The Deich Chakra, for those of you who didn't reach the fourth level of Agama, because there you get the description of one chakra per each month and the practice of it. So it's already going deep there, but then later we go again and again, deeper and deeper. And therefore, you learn that each chakra is sim has symbols in it, like a symbolic animal, a symbolic color, a number of spokes. Here, he doesn't go into all of them, while you are going to say, but Swami, if we go into more symbols, will it help? Yes. But Geranda keeps it minimal. He keeps it simple. He refers the square. He refers at the Bija Mantra. And he says it is presided by Brahma. Each chakra has a sort of a deity, a form of divine consciousness, which applies to that chakra. It's like you would say, how is God in Muladhara? When you are in Muladhara, which part of God are you going to see? How is God filtered by the earth element? And that, the answer to that is Brahma, the creator, the creator aspect of God. Fix your prana and mind. The word used for mind there was chitta, which is the classical word used for mind in Indian yoga. So fix the prana and mind there for five ghatikas, which means two hours. This is called adho dharana. He changes it. He doesn't, he first he called it prithivi dharana. But in, there are so many equivalent names in Sanskrit. And Sanskrit is so poetic that why not use another name? So he says, Listen to Pritividharana. Fix this, do this, do this, do this. This is called Adho Dharana. Adha like in Muladhara. Adha, Adhara means support. So this is the support Dharana, the Dharana of the root, the Dharana of. So it's just an equivalent name. This is called Adho Dharana, by which one conquers the earth, and it means no earthy element can injure him and acquires steadiness. The earth element. It gives steadiness. Some of you feel that you have no steadiness. You do one year of yoga, one year of Reiki, one year of Tai Chi, one year of bungee jumping, one year of butt scratching, and your life continues like this without any steadfastness. There is no stability. There is no steadiness. To reach something, you have to do it for 12 years, not for a little bit this and a little bit that. But the problem that people who are very aerial, for example, they get bored very easily. And they need constant excitement. 
constant novelty. They cannot stay on one thing steadily, 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 steadily. No, it's exactly like somebody is an accountant in a company and does numbers from morning till evening, and that person can be an accountant for 35 years until retirement. Only very special people with very stable and special temperament can have such a life story. What was your employment story? I was an accountant in Coca-Cola for 35 years. Many people would say, I would shoot myself rather than have such a life, you know. It's like I would die, you know. It's like it would clip my wings completely. Not for Muladhara Chakra people. Muladhara Chakra people are the ones who can be accountants in Coca-Cola for 35 years and they can cope with it. Like they don't get bored so easily. Sometimes you are wondering so how some people do this repetitive Chinese-like sculpture or weaving silk carpets with infinitesimally thin strings, and it takes them years to complete a project. This is the steadfastness from Muladhara. In the old days, all the rural cultures, they were more in Muladhara because people lived barefoot, and they lived on the earth, and they didn't have cement floors, and glass, and steel, and plastic, and other things. So people were much more muladharistic. In the primitive cultures, people are more muladharistic. Like my grandmother was born in a village. She lived in that village up till the age of 84. She died in that village. She left that village less than once per year, and then for three days or something to just go in the nearby city where my parents were living or for getting a visit to a hospital to, come to get some tests done. No, like her life was 84 years in one house in one village. And she didn't get bored. She had a very lively mind when she was 80-something. She was listening to scientific news on the radio, and she was wondering how are people flying to Mars and stuff like this. Like she had a very open spirit, although she lived in one house. That is steadfastness. That is the quality of the earth. If you have a harmonious earth, it gives you this thing that you never get bored, that you can ever. You can go in a room and stay for six months, and you've got a lot to do. There is no boredom over, for a person that has this siddhi, this quality of muladhara chakra. Steadiness. Steady, steady, steady as it goes. You know, if you go steady, you can drill a hole through Mother Earth, you know. If you go steady, you can walk to the moon, you know. It's just a matter of steadily, 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 steadily doing what has to be done. This is the, the function of the earth element. And it says, if you do this, I'm going to come back to the technique for a second. But it says, by this, one conquers the earth, which means, to understand what that means, no earthy element can injure him. What is an earthy element? An earthy element is anything which is a physical interaction. I don't remember what was the name. There was a funny comedy movie with Will Smith some 10 years ago. He was called Hookie or something, some funny name. Um, Hancock, I think he was called. And he had the, what you see in there, it's like a manifestation of the earth city. Like if a car would hit 
Will Smith slash Hancock, the car would get a dent into it and Will Smith would be like a pillar made of steel. No dent, no nothing. He was as hard, if theoretically the yogis say the earth element and all the physical contoden things, they cannot get to you. You cannot be cut, you cannot be bruised, you cannot break your bones. You can even if you would hit with your motorbike a truck, you would miraculously escape. You would have no broken bones, you would have no wounds, you would have, you'd not be smashed. The earth element city means that nothing physical, earthy, contoden can smash you in any way. For example, one of my teachers used to say, if you had a fracture of one of your bones, that shows that your earth element is in disharmony. A person that has their earth element in harmony never gets to the point where they break bones or any other physical injury of this kind. So this is what is said by, this is the promise of this. If you manage to control, to conquer the earth element, no earthy element can injure you. Like there's no physical thing which can injure you. And one acquires steadiness. Like then you can do yoga for 20 years without being bored. You are steady in your effort. So what did it take? Let's look again at the technique. What did he say? He say visualize the earth element as a square, yellow, with a bija mantra la, presided by Brahma. So take Brahma into account. Focus on Brahma. Pray to Brahma. Meditate on Brahma. Fix your prana and mind there for five ghatikas, <coughs> which means two hours. This is called adho dharana. First part. Fix your prana and mind there. Wherever the attention goes, you have learned that in the very first lectures of yoga, and then you've learned that again when you, we teach you pranayama, wherever the mind goes, that's where energy follows. So when you say fix the prana and mind there, it means focus so much on it that you start creating a resonance by the concentration <clears throat> and the energy also goes there. It's like you'd have laser in your eyes and you'd focus on this piece of paper and eventually it would burst on flames. It would become red hot because if I look at it, I energize it. It starts humming with energy because I look at it because I focus on it. Whatever I focus on gets energized by resonance and by the laws of mental concentration. So it says, fix your prana and mind there. Like, focus on it until it becomes an energy, until it starts humming. Focus and prana and mind, that's a very discreet acknowledgement of the fact that by sending the mind in your muladhara chakra, you send your prana into muladhara chakra. It's as simple as that. It's right here. That's how we do yoga in Agama. You do padahastasana and you put your mind on your legs. You put your mind on your muladhara. You put, why? Because wherever you put your mind, there you are going to trigger the energy and that's what's important. That's why this principle has been taken into account. The teachers who taught me this style of yoga, they had understood this principle, which is ignored pretty much throughout many aspects of modern yoga. So it says, put your prana and mind, like focus with mind and energy, there for five ghatikas. 
If five gatikas are two hours, simple mathematical question, what is a gatika? A gatika is one-fifth of two hours or one-fifth of 120 minutes, which is 24 minutes. A gatika is a special, special unit of measuring the time. It refers to the biorhythms, to the circulation of energy through the body and other mysterious things which are way beyond the purpose of this satsang. And the gatika is a very special unit of measurement. For example, you might notice that you breathe through one nostril for 24 minutes and then the breath goes to the other nostril for another 24 minutes. 24, not 25, not 22, 24. It's a very strange unit which exists in Tantric Yoga of India and Tibet. It's originally called Ghatika. <coughs> and here basically it says you should do an excellent concentration on Muladhara Chakra, on the earth element, like a yellow square, by using the mantra Lam, by focusing on Brahma, and so on, whatever other elements are there, and you should do this meditation for two hours. It, it doesn't say what's happening if you do it for two gatikas. Oh, I don't have two hours. I have 48 minutes. Will that be good enough? Sure, it will be good enough for something. It will produce resonance. It will produce activation. It's a worthy yoga exercise. But here Garanda says, why don't you try it for two hours? This is a two-hour meditation, and it's, you really have to have good concentration, good visualization to do it full on and steadiness. And 71 concludes by saying, he who practices this dharana perseveringly, actually the term which is used in Sanskrit involves like every day, like practice daily. He who practices this dharana daily becomes like the conqueror of death, which is another epithet of Shiva. Shiva is the conqueror of Yama, Yama Raja, and will walk upon this earth like a Siddha. So, <clears throat> if you do this, even this physically makes you a conqueror of death, a Shiva. It is the image from the Greek mythology. I have recently seen two very bad Hollywood movies on the legend of Hercules. It seems as the time passes, they make it more and more idiotic, really. In the Greek mythology, Hercules is the typical ideal of this Muladhara, conqueror of death. Hercules is the arch example of how a human being can reach immortality and become a demigod, starting from a very brute, raw Muladhara energy. Because Hercules has no intelligence, no subtlety, he's not doing any meditation or spiritual practice, He's just a gigantic bodybuilder blokehead who is doing some service, some muladharistic service, almost blindly obeying to whoever gives him tasks to do. And violent and otherwise disharmonious in other ways, like getting drunk and killing people when getting drunk and stuff like that. And yet Hercules reaches immortality by being the perfect Muladhara Chakra hero. That's what Garanda also says. He who practices this dharana just on Muladhara, every day becomes like Shiva, like the conqueror of death, and will walk upon this earth like a Siddha. Like if you are like Hancock, that a car hits you and the car dies, 
and you are just looking like what just happened, then people will say you are God. You know, it's like this we can't understand. Like this is incredible. Yeah. So this is the meditation on the earth element. Swami Dayananda in 19th century India was practicing this kind of thing and he could catch the wheel of a four horse cart and the four horses could not pull the wheel. It's like he became like a pillar of cement grounded in the earth. He just caught the back wheel of a cart, four horses were pulling it away and they could break the cart into pieces but it wouldn't move simply because Dayananda was holding it with one hand from the back wheel. This is not physical power anymore. This is a Siddhi on Muladhara Chakra. There was, with our example, look at examples of people who are incredible from this standpoint. I'm reminded of a Russian athlete, a circus athlete, who could do incredible stuff. He could bend railway around his knee. I don't know if you have ever touched a piece of railway, like to see what railway really is. Railway is a really, really, really thick and big piece of metal. And as whatever you do to take a one and a half meter piece and to bend it around your knee, there is no human being that can do that. The same guy could break telegraph poles. The telegraph poles are thicker than this. They are wood, compact wood, a tree trunk, thicker than this, almost double as thick as the pillars in this hall. How would you break one of those with your bare hands and other, and other things? There was an Australian, such strong man, they could put a chain around his neck and four people could pull on one end and four people on the other. And they couldn't choke him. Eight people would pull on a chain, put once looped around your neck, and they could not strangulate you. They couldn't take away your breath. Is that about muscles? Like how many muscles can a human being have here? protect there like that guy was unchokable that guy was like made of steel this is muladhara chakra this is what comes from the control of the earth element that nothing earthy no mechanical force no nothing can afflict that person this is the herculean myth and then he moves directly in 72 what, to what he calls Ambhasi Dharana. Ambha, Ambha is a way of calling again the water element. Ambhasi Dharana, he calls it here. And that's of course the same meditation done on the water element. 72. The water element is white like the kunda, like the jasmine flower that is, or like a conch, like the mother of the pearl, he means, or the moon. See? This is the real color of the elements. Not that Muladhara Chakra is red and Svadhisthana is orange. That's invented by some dude in the 20th century and it's a fiasco. Yaranda Samhita even, although it doesn't speak about the chakra, says the earth element is yellow like orpiment. The water element is white like jasmine flower or like the mother of the pearl in a conch or like the moon, which means a silvery white, a slightly grayish type of white. Its form is round like the crescent of the moon. The letter Va is its bija, and it is always presided by Vishnu. The same elements, like the shape of the tattva for visual meditation, the mantra, the presiding 
deity or divine consciousness. Merge your prana and mind there for five gatikas. It's the same thing. So meditate on this with absorption. Be absorbed into it. Sink into it with your mind and prana for five gatikas. That's again two hours. And fix it. This is ambasidharana, which destroys sorrows and sin. Sorrows and sin are the negative things of Svadhisthana. These are the dirt of Svadhisthana. The people who are Svadhisthanistic, they are depressed, sad, and they believe in sin. That's why all the society, when the religion was a herd thing, people thought, it's a sinner. You are a sinner. You committed sin. This is how Svadhisthana looks upon spiritual life. When you read the Nirvana Shakkam of Shankaracharya, Shank uh, Shankaracharya speaking in the name of Shiva says, for me, there is no sin, there's no virtual activity, there's no ritual incantation. I'm consciousness and bliss without form. I am Shiva, I am Shiva. Like, sin does not exist in Sahasrara. But for the person in Svadhisthana, the world is a world of joy and sorrow and a world of virtue and sin. If you fuck around, you are a sinner. If you don't, you are, if you are chaste, you are virtuous. No? It's a world, it's a judgment in black and white, like the white of this water element. So just two elements, he just has to say it quickly and says, this is Ambasidharana, which destroys sorrows and sin. 73, the Ambasi is a great mudra. But you see, this mudra, you don't do any gesture with the body. It's a mudra of focusing. And of course, it doesn't say that Svadhisthana is three finger breads above the genitals on your pubic area, because that's also secret. Your guru tells you that, but it doesn't say where exactly the concentration is. The Ambasi is a great mudra. The yogin who knows or accomplishes it, because to know it means to accomplish it, not to know it because I spoke about it, to know it because you did it for years and years. So the yogin who accomplishes it can never die due to water. You will never drown. Water cannot kill you. No death related in any way with water or no accident related with water is possible. People would say, what about ice? Well, ice is still water, or you can consider ice a physical thing as well. So this is the guarantee. In India, yogis, there is an image on the YouTube with a Thai nun from north of Thailand and so on, a Buddhist nun. They are trying to demonstrate this, that they can meditate and float on water. And they use different tricks, some of them cheap, stupid tricks, and some of them were supposed in the old days that the yogis were almost like walking on water. Because the water does not swallow you. The water obeys to you. How can you be drowned by water when you can just click your fingers and say stop? Because I command water. It's like Jesus. A storm came and Jesus looked at the storm and said, why do you panic? Stop. And the storm stopped. That's the power over the elements. That there is no earthy, watery, fiery or airy thing which can do anything. To you because you now control it. How do you control it? By focusing on it for two hours at a time, which means going deep, deep, deep with a mantra, laya yoga, visualization. It's a, it's a visual and <coughs> uh, mantra meditation and more. 
going into it and in a certain way you become one with it. You acquire what Patanjali calls Samyama, identification with it. You meditate on the water element until the water element becomes your friend. This exceptional mudra must be, says, he says in 74, this exceptional mudra must be carefully kept secret by disclosing it the success, and the word which he uses for success is Siddhi, is lost. Verily, this is the truth. This statement came before several times, and I called the attention in the last season when we came to this statement. For those of you who didn't hear it, I'm calling the attention very, very briefly this now. It, not for the others he doesn't mention, but for this he felt like, you know, I should tell you something about these mudras. This exceptional mudra must be carefully kept secret. By disclosing it, the success of the city is lost. Verily, this is the truth. This is a statement done in yoga. If you do something really powerful, talk only to your guru about it. And if you have somebody who does the same effort with you, like two tantric partners that have the same tapas, two friends who are doing the same thing, then you can talk to each other. But if you talk to a person who doesn't have that tapas, then it's like you are discharging. It's like you are hot, you are red hot, and as long as you are red hot, you can cut through your practice like a red knife cuts through butter. But if you, if you start sharing it, the temperature of your knife goes down because you give some of your fire to others because it's a psychological thing. You have the motivation. You somehow manage to tap that power that you can sit in your bungalow and you can do your practice. Instead of potlucking, instead of surfing on Facebook, you stay and do your practice. You are not distracted. That's a power. And if you start sharing it with friends, those friends will suck and will say, you know what, I spoke yesterday with Walter and I felt really inspired. Your friends are going to increase their sadhana with 25%. And you are going to lose yours. Or you are going to lose 50% of yours. Because you are a bubble mouth. You are talking about intimate things of your practice. You don't lose it if you speak about it to your partner who does the same amount of effort. And his knife is as hot as yours. Or if you speak to your guru because your guru is placed on the line of initiation higher than you. The initiation came from the guru to you. And therefore, you cannot lose energy to your guru. And therefore, these are the only exceptions. That's why there is a law of secrecy and the law of silence. When you practice, get, you know, keep this motivation for you. Many, many practitioners in Buddhist monasteries, in Zen environment, in India and so on, they kept their practice secret. And it was known, it's known in Christian monasteries and others. If in a monastery of a hundred monks you have one or two who do a lot of practice, all the rest of the monastery is demonically trying to sabotage those two who do the practice. There is a huge envy and a huge poison against those two who are actually the only two spiritual heroes in the monastery and they are the ones who are carrying the whole school, the whole monastery on their back because those are the ones who really sit home and practice. They don't waste their time. No? That's what is there. You know? It's like Jesus says, if you throw pearls to the swine, not only that the swine will trample on the pearls, which is a waste, but they are also going to turn against you. 
This is pearls to the swine when you give your practice to some people who don't deserve it. And that's why you know, the gurus can do this by consecration because they have a certain warrant. But in the moment when you do your tapas, the best idea is keep it secret. Share it only with the people with whom it's relevant and from where you can take further instruction. But otherwise, if you share it too much, you are going to dilute your practice. So be mysterious. Keep your secret and don't speak about it. So by disclosing it, the city, which means even you might even lose some paranormal ability, is lost. Verily, this is the truth. Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, the founder of Transcendental Meditation, he even asked that people do not disclose the mantras. He said, if I give you initiation in a mantra, and you go to some idiot and tell them, oh, I'm working with a mantra, this and that, then you might lose it. It's like your, hot is not, your knife is not hot anymore. Your knife has chilled out like you put it in a bucket of water. Because you have shared it with somebody who is an outsider, a total skeptical person, a person with a demonic, dirty mind, a person full of cynicism and lack of faith, and you are trying to impress them. Let your guru, if he's got blood in his veins, impress them. And you, if you become really strong in your practice, then you become a sort of a semi-guru, and you can afford to give some of your fire to other people by inspiring them. But remember, there is always a prize in disclosing these things. That's why in many religious places, people are prohibited to talk about themselves and their own practice. You can speak about Milarepa, can speak about Ramakrishna, can speak about Rumi, but when it comes, what about you? It's like, I won't tell you about myself. No? So in this way, that's part of this principle. I hope you clearly understand the value of the individual practice. People say, but Swami, doesn't that make you monomanic and egocentric and isolated? And uh, because, yeah, but you cannot become a Buddha if you are babbling too much and if you are social. A social person will never become a Buddha because a Buddha needs to go and stay alone for six years and build up and build up and build up and build up something for him. With a society, you dilute yourself. Your virtue is diluted by rubbing shoulders with other people. So unfortunately, no. This is the curse of Svadhisthana, that people who are unable to come out of Svadhisthana, they constantly complain about their, they have no more social life. Yeah. Take a decision that you will have no social life for the next 12 years until you reach Samadhi. Then we're going to reevaluate the case again. But until that time comes, what's the usefulness of rubbing shoulders? It's a weakness. It's an addiction, actually. Why don't you try the opposite? Like people who say, I can't live without sugar. Really? But 300 years ago, there was no sugar. How did people live 300 years ago? There was honey. That one was also not very abundant and present everywhere. No? So how did people live? Now, who had a sweet tooth 300 years ago? Nobody. The sugar is a poison of modern times. And to say, I simply can't give up sugar, it simply shows you are spoiled and high maintenance. Because it's not true. We are not born with sugar. Sugar is not a must in our life. Not under the form of the white sugar 
and all these chemical sugars that we have. And that's why I say it's the same with the practice. This shloka is very strong and it says keep your knife hot. Stay with your practice. Don't share it because you are losing momentum. And then in 75 he moves to the fire which of course you guess it's pretty similar. It's called Agnei Dharana. The fire element or tattva is situated at the navel. Oh, good you tell us. What about the water element? I'm not telling you about that one. What about the earth element? I'm not telling. Why? Simply because the lower chakras are more dangerous. They could be misused. It's a secret. No, they are connected with sex, with other things. No. Geranda forgets conveniently to tell you, but with the fire, he feels comfortable. He says, the fire element is situated at the navel. Aha, so they are placed somewhere in the body, right? He doesn't say four centimeters in front of the navel, like a wheel with ten spokes of energy, which is called Manipura Chakra, and which resonates with the universe like an antenna, and it brings energy, downloads energy from the universe. And he doesn't say anything like this, because it's far, far from the saying it's at the navel, it's already a big conquest. He breaks the seal of secrecy by telling you that already. So the fire element is situated at the navel. Its color is red like the Indra Gopa bug, some bug from India, which is red, I've never seen it. Its form is, is, is triangular. Its Bija mantra is Ra, and its presiding deity is Rudra Shiva, the giver of perfection, or Siddhi, effulgent as the sun. The form triangular is the most often made graphical mistake in the description of the chakras because this form is related with the movement of the tattva, with the way the tattva is. And the fire is triangular, but if you are going to bother to look at any flame, when you have a flame in front of you, you're going to see that any flame is kind of triangular with a point up. 99% of the representations of the chakras, not in the papers of Agama, of course, but in the outer world, they simply got this mistake from Arthur Avalon or someone like them, and they keep representing absurdly the fire chakra like a red triangle pointing down. That shows just how much those people meditated and realized Manipura chakra. There are tens of people who write books about chakras without feeling their chakras, without meditating, without, they just copy from here and there, and they just kill another tree or another hundred trees by publishing some more stupid book about things. The triangular form of the fire tattva is a triangle pointing up because that's how fire goes. It's like a triangle pointing up. And it says the presiding deity is Rudra Shiva, the giver of Siddhi. For Vishnu he didn't say anything, for Brahma he didn't say anything, but for Rudra he suddenly becomes poetic and he wants to say something. And uh, the deity is Rudra Shiva, the giver of perfection. Like a lot of Siddhis are coming from Manipura Chakra and from the fire element. When people describe many of these Siddhi things, that's why you find people in martial arts, in Qigong and so on, manifesting some of these things, because in Manipura Chakra there are a lot of these mini powers, these powers, Siddhis, um, and so on. So Rudra Shiva, the giver of perfection, effulgent as the sun, makes the connection with the sun, and he tells you that this red color has something to do with the sun and the resonance with the sun in Manipura Chakra. 
fix the prana and chitta there. There where? Ah, in the navel with the triangle and with the mantra. Now we tell for the other ones, you know where it is because we told you. And you can understand and fill the gaps. But a person who gets this without having been initiated properly is in the air. Because where is the earth element? Oh, it was not written. So fix the prana and the chitta, mind and prana together. Deep meditation, samyama for five gatikas, again the same two hours, which is a cycle, it's a cycle of the universe. This is Vaishvanaridharana. Oh, wait, wait a second, it was called Agneidharana. Yes, Agneidharana or otherwise said Vaishvanaridharana. Any outsider who doesn't speak Sanskrit is going crazy because they change the names like underwear. You know, they have just five lines lower, now they call it Vaishvanaridharana. Is this the same with Agnei Dharana? Yes, it's just an equivalent name. It's an alternative name. It's just two synonyms. So this is Vaishvanari Dharana, destroyer of the dread of inevitable death. So two elements are here, inevitable death and the dread which it produces. It's written in such a way, and that's why I use the words dread of inevitable death, because it refers also to violent death. Very often, violent death is related with Manipura Chakra, like death by the sword or something like that. You would say, well, what about the earth element? Yes, but the sword, because it is sharp, it has something like the fire. When you cut, it's like a burning sensation. And therefore, the sharp edges made of steel, they have something connected with the fire element. That's why all the martial arts that use swords and cutting instruments and so on, there is much about Manipura there. <clears throat> so this is Vaishvanaridharana, destroyer of the dread of inevitable death. Inevitable violent death and the dread of it. Like there is no fear. This fear of death is a pollution of Manipura chakra. And Vaishvanaridharana is the destroyer of the dread of inevitable death. Ultimately, death is inevitable. Why should there be dread of it? And it, it also means in an alternative way, it destroys the dreadful death. You know, like a death which is too much. Should the pra 76, should the practitioner of this be thrown into a blazing fire, this mudra will keep him alive without fear of death or injury. There is this video of the fire yogi from India who is a little child compared to other elements like Elijah, the Bible patriarch, other, there's a legend in the Judaism with three young men who were going into the fire and finishing later with Saint Francis of Assisi, who boldly went to the Sultan of the Muslims, Jalaluddin or whatever was his name, and he told him, if any one of you guys believes in Allah, let's make a simple test. We make a huge fire in the middle here, and I and that believer we walk into the fire praying to God. And let's see. No, let's see if God really works for you. If you really have a relationship with God or it's just an illusion. It's just a dream. And Jalaluddin and the guys around, they shed their pants, you know. And they said, Francis, I don't think there's anybody here who wants to make that experiment with you. And then Francis pushed the envelope. He said, then please order to make a big fire 
and I alone will walk into the fire. Like, it's clearly that I have no competition, but I will walk anyhow into the fire. And it's like the implication is, after I do this, you better be prepared to get baptized Christian. No, because all of you have no God. All of you are just giving lip service. Yeah? So, and, and I'm ready, I've got this permission from God, or I've got this city where I can actually show it to you. I can rub your face into it, you know, like in case uh, you want to li continue living in this dream. Incredible statement, incredible man. And he knew it from before because <clears throat> Francis of Assisi, after a lot of practice, he went over the prayer, simple prayer, and he got to the place where he started seeing God in the elements. And he has those incredible prayers, brother, sun, and sister, moon, how long I want to see you and to be with you in tune, and all those things where he plays to sister earth, to the brother fire, to the sister water, like he prays to the elements. Francis of Assisi in a Christian bhakti yogic environment, he actually started already communing with the five elements, and he was not harmed by the elements. So... Garanda says if you reach that level of the fire element, you are thrown into blazing fire and the fire will not burn you. You will stay alive because you are like a salamander. You live into the fire. You become like a spirit of fire. The fire is your brother. It's you are just part of fire. I told you, women working with a lot of fire in the kitchen, they sometimes develop a minor, minor city where they can pick up very, very hot pots hundred degrees hot pots and they move them with their bare hands like this without getting blisters or getting burned. Old, old uh, metallurgic masters, craftsmen, 500 years ago they tested the consistency of, of molten iron by simply sticking the hand in it. They stuck their hand in cold water and made it wet and then they stuck their bare hand into iron and moved it to see if it's liquid enough. And then they took it out and they said we can pour it in forms. Would be, anybody be insane, even with wet with water, to stick their hand into molten iron? Like it would burn you to the bone instantaneously. And those people could do it, which is actually a city. <coughs> it was a transmission. It's a paranormal thing which comes slowly, slowly without doing yoga just because you are dealing with that thing all day long. Many Babas in India, they love this fire thing because India is a very sunshine fire country, tropical, <coughs> in some places even desertic. And also because many Babas in the jungle lived with fire. Fire was a constant presence. They will spend hours looking into the fire, sticking with a stick into the fire, doing trataka on the fire. And you can see even in Hatha Yoga, the biggest number of asanas per chakra is for Manipura chakra. Like we have two asanas, maybe three, four, that work on Vishuddha chakra. For Manipura chakra, we have about 20. Like it's by far the best represented chakra in all the Hatha Yoga. It's not a coincidence. If you try to think, where did it come? How are the people who did it? And all that. Who invented all this Hatha Yoga and things. I will continue until I finish at least these five mudras. So two more. Vayavi Dharana from Vayu. 
Vayu wind, the dharana on the wind element on the air, 77. The air tattva is smoky gray like the collyrium powder, the, pow the powder for making makeup, collyrium for the eyelashes, so for makeup powder. Therefore, here there is a funny discrepancy, which exists in two other texts, that the air tattva, they did not consider it blue, they considered it somewhere grayish, because the air is like transparent, and when you don't look up and you look horizontally, then kilometer after kilometer there accumulates a certain mistiness. The air is misty in a way, and that mistiness is somewhere gray. The correct tantric color illustrated in other texts is that still it is blue, sky blue. But in Geranda Samhita, Geranda's statement is that the air tattva for him, he sees it as smoky gray like collyrium power or bhinanjana in Sanskrit, is just the makeup thing. The letter Ya is its bija, and Ishvara its presiding deity. It doesn't tell us again where it is. It just had a little bit of a breakthrough for Manipura, because they like Manipura so much. And with Anahata kind of, oh, I forgot, or I simply didn't say it. But that Manipura is like an alarm signal. Like, go to your teacher and ask him where the others are, because it's not written. It's not written on purpose, obviously. So, this, and it says, Ishvara is its presiding deity. And then it says an extra sentence. This tattva is full of the sattva quality. Tamas, rajas, and sattva. It simply points, now when you have reached to the air element, the air element is so refined and so light, that here sattva predominates. In fire, it is still Rajas Tattva. In the earth, it is tama, uh, Rajas Guna. In earth, it is Tamas Guna. But already when you reach to air and implicitly to the ether, you are already going into Sattva Guna, which in Indian culture is like a recommendation. It's saying something good. Merge the prana and the chitta there for five gatikas. Again, the same process. This is Vayavidharana which gives the experience of moving through space, which is an expression which means walking in the air or flying in the air. Basically, Geranda says, if you fully master the air element, you're going to levitate. You're going to start walking in the air. How many people did you hear in history that really mastered the air element? This is how often does it happen. Yeah? It's a very, very, very seldom accomplishment. But basically, it says, it gives the experience of moving, flying in the air. 78. This excellent mudra destroys decay and death. It says this has something to do with the decay and death. When you put it together with the fact that vata dosha is the one which gives old age and the signs of old age and so on, maybe mastering the air element actually does something to the metabolism as well. Its practitioner is never killed by aerial or gaseous disturbances. Like you cannot be killed by a tornado that lifts you in the air and dumps you down. You cannot be killed by poison in the air. Like some gaseous problem. You will not be killed through the lungs, through the air, simply because controlling the air element. 79, this should not be taught to the wicked hypocrite or one without devotion. This is a constant theme that some people are wicked, that means they are inclined to do evil, 
Some people are hypocrites, which means they are fake, unsincere, dishonest. And some people have no devotion. Like they do it, but there is no humbleness. There is no devotion, neither to the Guru, nor to the lineage, nor to the gods, nor to the divine consciousness. The person lacks this important spiritual quality. So, Gyaranda simply says, these are the disqualifications. Being a wicked, hypocrite, without devotion, that's a no-no. By doing so, success is lost. This is verily the truth, O Chanda. So, it simply says, the one that has those defects will not get success. It can also imply that the teacher who dares to give in such conditions is going to lose some accomplishment is going to be handicapped in some way for giving pearls to the swine. This is a way of casting pearls to the swine. The last of the five mudras is of course Akashi Dharana, the focusing on the ether element. The ether or vioma, vioma means sky or firmament, like the night sky is vioman. So it's like the night sky, it's like you go into a planetarium and there's just an infinite thing with stars into it. The ether or vioma element has the color of crystal clear sea water. It's like an ambiguous color. It's crystal clear water. No color. That's colorless. But so it means that when you look at it, up there there is something which is crystal clear infinitely. Then why does it look so black in color? In the Tantric tradition, they prefer to say, no, it's actually dark, dark, dark blue, indigo, dark, dark, dark blue, black. The ether element has the color of crystal clear sea water. The letter Ha is its seed or Bija, and its presiding deity is Sadashiva. Fix the prana along with the chitta for five ghatikas. This is Nabhodarana, another equivalent name, which opens the door to liberation or moksha. <coughs> so this dharana on the earth ether, what does it do? It opens the door to moksha, to liberation. Why? Because Udanavayu from Vishuddha Chakra is the energy which takes you to Ajna and Sahasrara. It's the upward going Vayu. Vishuddha Chakra is the gate through which you go in the higher chakras. This is the last guardian of the gate. <coughs> You focus on Akasha, this is opening the door to liberation. A strong Vishuddha Chakra gives a very good aspiration and a very good perception towards <coughs> enlightenment and spiritual reality. And he says in 81, he who masters this exceptional mudra is a real yogi. Like Yoga, now you are getting closer and closer to the real deal. With the earth dharana, sure, it's important. You master the earth element and then you walk the face of the earth like a Hercules, like a god, like a Siddha. But when it reaches to Akasha, now this is a real yogi. Like the one who will not be harmed by the earth element is very interesting and a great man, no doubt. But this is a real yogi when you go to here. Death does not touch him and he does not perish at the pralaya, which is the dissolution of the universe, the night of Brahma. So he says, if you reach this element, you are like Akasha. You will resist beyond the matter. 
the earth, the water, the fire and the air will crumble down, the universe will fall apart and be taken into pieces like a Lego game and you will not perish. Your consciousness is so high that you will not perish even at the pralaya, even when the universe falls apart, your consciousness will survive. That's a gigantic statement. It's again a very, very big so. Mastering Akashi Dharana, Vishuddha, is already at, in the spiritual field and the accomplishments are... With the other four elements, the accomplishments are more like cities, flying through the air, not being killed by water. But here, it's like one is a real yogi, this opens the door to moksha and one does not perish even at pralaya. And just because I would like to finish this page without any connection, after he finishes this wonderful Akashi Dharana, I hope you realize that he forgot conveniently to tell you the shape, like he never spoke about the shape when he spoke about the air element and the fire element. He said that the fire is triangular, but then the air there was nothing and then with the ether again of course it's not because they don't have a shape it's because he didn't want to say it because once you go through them and you remember the five dharanas of course you know the elements for each one of them and you remember so for somebody who already knows reminding him of these things is yeah 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 I remember yeah now I remember no because I've been there done that and this is just a support for memory and suddenly after these wonderful subtle mudras of the elements, two shlokas are consecrated to one of the 25 mudras, which again you have heard about, so banal and yet so special. He goes into Ashvini mudra. Ashvini mudra is still part of the 25. Ashvini mudra, for those of you who don't remember, the contraction of the muscles of the anus, like when you do the tadasana, the three pose, that you prevent the energy from leaking down. 82. Contract and dilate or contract and relax the anal aperture again and again. This is called Ashvini Mudra. It awakens the Shakti Kundalini. Like brief, two lines. Ashvini Mudra, can you describe to me in two lines? This is Ashvini Mudra, Tadana. It awakens Kundalini. Like if I have to boil it down to one thing, that's what Ashvini Mudra is best known for. It does something to Kundalini. Oh, it does many, many other things. It can heal hemorrhoids and so on. It doesn't have time and it's very collateral and small. This is Ashvini Mudra. It awakens the Shakti, the Kundalini. And 83 says Ashvini is an excellent Mudra which destroys all diseases of the secret area. They call it Guhya. Guha means secret. So you may take it literally the anus, but actually the energy in the perineum is supposed to heal also things in the genital apparatus, perineum, testicles, whatever, neighboring area. And that's why it simply tells you here, just brief on Ashvini Mudra. What do you remember about Ashvini Mudra? Ashvini is an excellent mudra, which destroys all, like just squeezing the anus is an excellent mudra. Yes, that's what Geranda says. Ashvini, as little ridiculous as it sounds, is an excellent mudra. It destroys all diseases of the secret area, Guhya. It gives strength and vitality, which are consistent with Muladhara Chakra, and prevents premature death. Which is a very bizarre statement, right? Like Ashvini Mudra, 
I awaken Shakti, destroys all diseases of the secret area, gives strength and vitality, and prevents premature death. Whatever premature death is supposed to mean, but for some people, the body decays and decays, and there are forms of degenerescence and others, which can mean very well premature death. Two shlokas about the modest but excellent, he says, Ashvini Mudra. I'm not going to continue tonight. I didn't manage to conclude. The conclusion is in... I have got one, two, three, four. Four mudras left and the conclusion of this chapter. This will happen next time when we also are going to move to the lesson number four, which will probably consume in one go because it's just a one page long, about ten shlokas for that lesson. Enough of this. We have gone through some more mudras from Kundalini. Next week I will continue <coughs> with the description of the mudras and more from Garanda Santita. Enough for now. Namaste to all of you. Thank you for joining this discourse about the Garanda Santita. With this we have finished. This was a live recording of Swami Vivekananda Saraswati. For more information, visit us on agamayoga.com or go directly to agamayoga.com slash downloads.